The reason probates are so good is sadly, you'll never run out of leads. Every single month, there is a new group of leads. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and we are just getting ready and prepared to go on this cruise. When you guys hear this, we'll have just gotten back from our cruise with all of our Seven Figure Runway and Seven Figure Altitude members. Um, this, so this podcast is going to come out after the cruise. We're doing a series on marketing and we're talking about direct mail. We're talking about Facebook. We're talking about probates. We're talking about lots of different things in marketing because I think the number one issue that the wholesalers are having, wholesalers and flippers, frankly, is in a competitive market like we have today is really finding leads and finding deals. And we were talking a little bit before the show, but you can't get a deal if you don't have a lead, right? And so that's the biggest thing is how do we drive more leads into the pipeline or how do we just drive enough to keep us going? And as more wholesalers and flippers come into the marketplace and it gets more interesting for them and it kind of starts averaging out a little bit. So how do we get in front of the sellers earlier or as much and get us our at, at bats for our sales team as we can. So today's guest, I'm actually really excited to talk to her. This is the first time we've actually met in kind of in person on video, obviously, but I've known about her and I've kind of conversed on Facebook and some different times with uh, my guest today, Sharon Bornholt. And I want to tell a quick story about my journey five, about five or six years ago as I was getting into wholesaling and real estate and kind of how she played into that, which she had probably has no idea about at all, actually. So, um, so when I was getting started in this business, I was, I wanted to be a house flipper. I was flying airplanes and helicopters for the Navy at the time I was flying helicopters and I was trying to figure this all out. Like a lot of you guys are, I was on free forums. I was reading books. I was going to the library to just get books on investing. I mean, the millionaire real estate investor was one of the first books I picked up all these different things and ideas. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I flipped a house and then I flipped another house the next year. And I thought I wanted to be a house flipper. And that was the direction that I was going. And then this idea of wholesaling came in and I immediately kind of pushed it away because the other wholesalers that I saw that were in my RIAs and in the area, I just didn't get a good vibe and feeling from them. And I thought that they were kind of just falling backwards into money. They were saying the wrong things to sellers. They were doing things unethically in my mind. And that's just the persona that I had and the people that I was around. It just seemed kind of used car salesman, snake oil sales type stuff to me. <laughs> and that's when I came across Sharon. I, I heard you on a podcast and I, 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 it might've been the Bigger Pockets podcast. It might've been one of the other podcasts that you were on. And I really, there's something about it where I said, you know what, this person, I feel like this is a really, really nice great person, like a really nice person that I can relate to. And I started kind of listening, like going on to your website and reading different articles about you and really saying, okay, this is the persona that I want to exemplify in my wholesaling business. And obviously Andy McFarland then came into my life, who is another person who I just mm -hmm. is unbelievable, the kind of integrity that he has and the person that he has. And I said, if these two people can do this ethically with integrity, with the way that I want to do it, then I can do it too. And in fact, 
I can, we can, a lot of us can do it. We can, there are other people out there who are doing it the right way. And so you were a huge inspiration to me in the very beginning of my journey. I'd say without ever finding you or coming across you or your, your stuff and same with Andy, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I would still be banging my head against the wall, going to Home Depot. You guys really kind of changed my whole mindset and an idea of what a wholesaler could be. So I, number one, I just want to say thank you for that because you changed my life, even though we've never met and you didn't even know that. But there's so many other people that probably have the same experience with you in the wholesaling arena and they've shared it with me. And then now being able to train other people and coach other people like you do to have that mentality and that kind of mindset and success, they're able to then train other people. And it just grows and grows and grows. I mean, I look at you guys as kind of like uh, the godmother and godfather of <laughs> a big family of, of wholesalers who are doing things the right way. So I just want to start with that. And hopefully that's um, something you had never, you haven't heard from me before, but I really do appreciate that because it's, it's something that in today's day, the word real estate investor, that, that kind of phrase sometimes gets a really bad taste in people's mouths. So if we can eradicate that and continue to help other people grow businesses that are based on integrity as the foundation and doing the right thing, that's, that's I think, what's most important in what we do today from the education side. So first of all, Sharon, thank you so much for everything that you put out over these past 20 years of investing. Mm -hmm. And um, I really do appreciate it. You've been a huge influence on me, even though you have no idea about it. So thank you. Well, I am pretty much speechless because I, I really had no idea. Um, thank you so much for that gracious introduction. Um, I love this business and my guiding principle has always been to do things ethically and the correct way. And I, I do think that that's one of the things that makes you stand the test of time for sure. Yep. I, I, and I think it's it, the right person can kind of feel that from just listening to maybe an hour podcast or a half hour mm -hmm. podcast to say, you know what, that's somebody who I think that I would like to have over for dinner. I'd like to ask mm -hmm. more questions or I'd like to get to know a little bit better. And that was it. That's all it took is, you know, cause you, you'll hear someone else who say, I don't really resonate with that person. Mm -hmm. And you're either changing the channel or you're, you're, you're not really yeah. into it. You don't get it. And I'd say, the couple people, obviously Justin was a big influence on me as well. He pulled me into this podcast. He's the one who introduced me to Andy. Um, but even before that, it's funny because you were kind of this influence on me even before that. And so was Danny Johnson. He's another person in my, uh, my sh short list at that time who yeah. said, I would, I trust all of these people mm -hmm. and I don't even know them. It's just really amazing to be able to do that from the podcasts and the meetups that you do and the, the articles that you write and things like that. So thank you. So why don't, for anybody who hasn't been influenced by you yet, which is probably a couple people listening, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, uh, you know, I grew up in an uh, entrepreneurial family. My dad was a general contractor. He was a pilot. My, both my parents were pilots of small planes. So we're, we're kind of kindred souls, I think. But um, I knew um, early on that one day I would be an entrepreneur. And I tried different uh, things, uh, but I always kept going back to this whole construction side of business. And I opened a home inspection company in 1991. So I met a lot of realtors, and one day one of them said, do you want to go to a REA, REA meeting? And I said, what's a REA meeting? I had no earthly idea, and this was long about 1998, but I had no earthly idea that there was another way to do real estate other than being a realtor. And I, 
as a really young married person, we had a realtor that lived across the street from us. And we were from a family of people that at that time had jobs. We thought he was just kind of crazy. We had no clue how he made money. And of course, now he's got a thousand houses. But um, So I went along from, um, so I had the home inspection business for 17 years. And during uh, the last 10 years of that business, 1998 to 2008, I did both. So I had a plan and I kind of limped along. You talked about doing some deals. So I did, um, my plan was to do a couple of rehabs and then buy a rental. And I just kind of went along slowly on that path because my, my other business was very demanding, but I just really wasn't happy. So along came 2008 and it was the perfect time to shut that business down because we all know what happened in 2008. But it was also, as far as going into real estate investing, everything was on sale. The problem was from a rehabber's perspective at that point was you couldn't, no end buyers could get a loan. So then I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to do? Because I bought a couple of houses. So that was honestly, if you can believe it, I was in real estate 10 years before I wholesaled a single house. And then uh, because I'd been in for 10 years, I just made a quick phone call and said, do you want, you, you, you need a house? And they went, oh, heck yeah. So I became an accidental wholesaler during that whole market crash. And that's the time, um, so 12 years now uh, since I went full time. And I just really never went back. I never intended to be a wholesaler, really, but it was just what happened. So when you started wholesaling, what, what was that like? Was it at that time, maybe it was probably easier to find uh, houses around that time. So wh- where did you start? Was it in the marketing side? You were going directly to seller in the beginning? Yes. And that's what I had done all, all along. Um, I, I guess you could say um, I'm not really, I'm, I tell people I'm the Libra poster child. I hate to get in there and scrap and dig around and fight other investors for deals. So I always took what was for me the easy route. I was always an off market person. And with the home inspection company, we jokingly, you see, you're too young, but we jokingly refer to that period of time, BI, before the internet, when you actually would go into offices and take flyers and you did direct mail. That was how you got realtors to work with you. So marketing was always my strength. So I took that marketing knowledge and I just put it into real estate and did the exact same thing. But I, I worked off market deals and I had known about a lot, you know, most of the off-market avenues. And remember at that time, gosh, we were getting somewhere between five, seven, eight percent return on direct mail. So it was pure gold. But that was about that time, 2008, that I discovered probates. And at that time, nobody was doing probates. It was a matter of there were no systems. Nobody knew how to do it. So just kind of dug around until I figured it out. Took a while, but I figured it out. And then... From that point on, I still worked uh, only off-market deals, but probates were my number one source of leads. I just got really good at the marketing side of it. And uh, I too, I think certain people are just more equipped to talk face-to-face to sellers. And I like that part of it. Yeah. So I, I think I'm glad that we were able to get you on the, the show because probates is definitely something that I am a complete novice in almost. Mm-hmm. Right? We've done them before. I've hired some different third-party vendors to help us. We've tried it. We've, we've dumped, jumped into it. And I, I, I still hear people say, I, I, I can't get deals off of probate. It's too hard. It's this, it's all these things. So I'm really interested to lean on your expertise today and dive into that really deep to say, like, how do, how do you get started? 
so you jumped into probate in 2008, mm-hmm. right then, and started learning it. Obviously, then it was probably you're the only one doing it, and that's evolved now into some competition. But it's still an area where it's a lot less competitive than dropping a absentee postcard on top of the other 20 or 30 that they're getting. Yeah, it's it's still it's uh, there is more competition, and here's the thing you need to remember about direct mail, and you, I'm sure you know this, but a lot of people probably don't know this. Somewhere around. Um, 80, 81% of your deals will come at or beyond your fifth mailing. Statistically, that's the way it's always been for me. But something like 90% of the people quit on or before the third mailing. So I always tell people, you need to, you want to be the last man standing. And they say, well, how many touches do you do? And, I, and I'll tell them, there's, there's no touches. I buy, I, I send the mail to these folks until I buy the house, someone else buys the house or they come off my list for one reason or another. May, you know, on rare occasions, people get upset with you, but in 20 or 10, 12 years of doing probates, I can count on one hand, three or four times, somebody's actually been a little bit upset because once you explain to them, people inherit these houses and they, um, they don't know what they're going to do with them because they may have a, a brand new roof, good mechanicals and orange shade carpet and metal cabinets. You know, they haven't been updated and the people, they don't want to put their money in the houses. So once you can explain to people and fix your mindset around working with probates, then you can just tell people, I completely understand that you want to list the house, but how about if that doesn't work out, if I can be your plan B? So I always approached it from that from that, uh, that, that direction. So that I always tried to, if somebody was the least bit upset because they got a direct mail piece, I wanted to fix that right then. It didn't really matter to me if we ever did the deal, but I wanted to change that whole perception uh, around real estate investors and probates. But the reason probates are so good is sadly, you'll never run out of leads. Every single month, there is a new group of leads. And the bigger your city, the more leads there are, and they fall generally into two groups. There's pretty houses, and then there's the dogs. Now, in this market, houses that might not be listed, some of them will be listed. But you get back into um, a downturn. Bill, I was buying houses that needed carpet and paint and two repairs for wholesale fees Mm. because there was a different, you know, it was a different market. Houses weren't selling. But it's it's a good niche in any market, and it's not market driven. Yeah, that's that's. I I think it's something that we need to learn. I need to learn. So I'm excited to kind mm-hmm. of just dive into it. The why don't we just start with anybody who's on listening who doesn't even know what a probate is? Can we start okay. there? I mean, it's pretty basic. But if we just assume that mm-hmm. they don't know what we're talking about, what is what defines a probate? Well, probate is, um, so this is the way it happens in in most states. Now, there are a few states that have a different, harder procedure like California, but in general, somebody passes away and then the um, estate has to be opened. Now, there will either be a will or there's not a will. So if there's a will, it's called testate, and that would be a case of where I would name, for instance, my daughters to be my co-executors or my executor. If there's no will, then the family has to go before the court and the judge will appoint an administrator. Both of those people, it's interchangeable terms, they're called the personal representative. 
and they are the decision maker. That person is the person that has the right to sign on the dotted line on a contract to sell the house. So someone passes away, the probate is opened, and then, you know, all of that's decided if there's a will, there's some, it's not quite this simple, but the judge will prove that the will is a valid will and all of those sorts of things. And then the next step is, you know, uh, they, they publish a notice to creditors. So in the paper, um, or generally in the newspaper or online, there's a notice to creditors that says, if you have a mortgage or a car payment, this is your opportunity to get paid. But it's at this stage when the estate is open that in most states you can buy the property because the property has to be sold to pay the creditors unless it's been directly willed like a, a husband and wife would have a survivorship deed or you could certainly will your property to one of your children. It, it could bypass probate. It could go in a, in a trust or something. But in general, any uh, personal property and real property in the estate is going to be, it's going to be sold to pay the creditors. Well, the creditors could be the nursing home. It could be a hospital. It could be a mortgage, uh, whatever the bill, whatever the bills are, they're going to liquidate the assets, including any real estate to pay the creditors. And then, and only then do the heirs get what's left. So all that has to happen before people can inherit and then the estate's closed and uh, you file a tax return with the IRS. Okay. So we've got this, somebody passes away. They've got, uh, is it, are you sure that they have real property in there, like a house or are you unsure typically at that point? What's the process? like? Well, it depends on, um, I would like to tell you there's a magic button for figuring this out, but that with over 3,300 counties in the U S each county is a little bit different. So in my area, um, it's been a standard that they've been published in the newspaper once a month. You would look for them uh, like where the uh, commissioner sale in the, in the uh, classified ads. Uh, there are some online sources. Some of the information is available in areas in online records. Uh, in your, in many areas they're online. So you Google probate plus your city and county. And a lot of times a website will just pop up with all the information. But once you get the list, so you're not looking for individual files, you're looking for a way to get a list. And, and you know, you can get some places you can get that weekly, a lot of places it's monthly. But you once you get the list, you have to have someone actually go through the list and see if there's real property. Now, in my area... I thought we were really, really behind the curve because you couldn't get this giant list online. But what I found out is that you need four pieces of information to work in probates. You need the name and address of the deceased and the name and address of the executor or personal representative. And in my area, right there in the newspaper, you get all four pieces. In some areas, they'll give you all but the property address. Then you get into doing a little detective work. Um, in my area, you can also go online on online records and look up wills. So you can, um, at the bottom of the will, the probate in file will be stuck at the bottom of the will at that point, and then you can see in there if there's real property. But there's no shortcut. Even if you know that there's property, you're going to have to look up the properties and see if it's a property you want. So this is, you can see people have already pretty much fallen off before this time. You're mm -hmm. con your perceived competition, they've already given up on this. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that people give up after a few mailings. I've seen, mm-hmm. I see it over and over and over again. Over I mean, over. We, we created a program called the Seven Figure Runway because these people need a runway. You've got to have need a runway. Six, mm-hmm. six months to a year. For me, mm-hmm. I put six months of money aside. And just like mm-hmm. you said, I just hit my list on my, mm-hmm. I was doing absentee mailers only at that time. And every single week, the mail would go out without mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. And I just, every week. And it took me four and a half months to get my first wholesale deal money in the door. So most people would have quit after two months, three months, four months, Mm -hmm. and we just kept going. And I think this is, there is detective work, there's work. So you, so we've got somebody who passes away. Mm -hmm. We've got this announcement of some Mm -hmm. sort. So somebody is going to find this information, whether it's in Mm -hmm. the newspaper, it's an online uh, source, whether it's the county uh, courthouse, in some counties, do they actually have to go to the courthouse to get in that? In some counties, they do. I have one student who lives in New Jersey, and he has to actually physically go to the courthouse. Yep. So you want to hope that that's not your reality. Yep. Uh, he, he did train someone once he figured out the process to go and do it for him. Perfect. So then you've got this, you've mm-hmm. got a list, you're trying mm-hmm. to build a list, just like we do on ListSource mm-hmm. or any other way that you get a list, whether it's mm-hmm. code violations or right. water shutoffs or whatever it might be that uh, tax delinquents mm-hmm. and probate is just another list that you're, so now you've got this list. There may be a way to find out whether it has property attached to it or not. Would you recommend that they only, they have, they dig into that or if you don't know to just mail them all? Um, with given the time that you would spend digging into, if you've got a simple way to do it now, sometimes um, I, I, I personally use the tax assessor site for just about everything. I know in certain areas that it's, they use an appraiser site, but I can, if you have a name that's even the slightest bit unusual like mine, you could go on there and you could figure out if I had property, if that was omitted. Now, if you're John Smith, you're probably going to have a hard time. So I would just, um, I try in my area, I can generally find out if there's property. So that's a decision you have to make because um, it, it all comes down to the dollars in your mailings. Okay. I probably would err on the side of I'd probably mail them. Yeah. Now, I do not personally mail multiple heirs. I mail the decision maker, the executor. Now they are likely to hand it off to the sister who's in town or the person who's good at talking to people. That's okay. But you should always ask when you're dealing with probates, are you the owner of the house or are you the executor would be your next question. And if they say, no, my sister is, but she lives in Nashville. So I'm taking care of everything. Then you know that whoever you're talking to does not have the legal right to sell the house. So that's something that you always need to know is who are you talking to and do they have the legal right to sell the house? Okay. So we've got this list of people. It may be broken down into owning real property. It may not. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a certain percentage typically that you see with working with so many clients of of a list like that? If I have a hundred, because we're not talking about 10,000 people that are dying in each county per month. We're probably talking about a pretty small number. I remember when we were doing probate mailings with a company, we had somewhere around 30 or so per month is about what we saw. And I couldn't tell, they couldn't tell me if it had real property. I think that's that's changed in your area. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) We're going to talk after this for sure. But um, the, so Things are evolving, and for anyone that can't currently get their their leads online, one thing I want to say is is check periodically. But so my population is smaller than yours, so Louisville and the surrounding areas might be tipping a million. 
So what is, what is Nashville? Um, oh, Nashville's bigger, but we three, were doing this in Pensacola, Florida. So this was oh, my, okay. uh, my smaller mark, about 350,000. So okay. I'm seeing about somewhere around 30 to sometimes 50 per month. Okay. So I'll put it into perspective. So Louisville property it, uh, proper, uh, proper is probably 750,000. And with the immediate suburbs that I would be likely to work in, you probably around a million. So on any given month, there would be 80 to 120 probates. Now of those, when you look at all of those, by the time you take out the areas where you go, heck no, I'm not going down there. You take those out and then you take out the properties that you know are going to be retail sales. They're, they're high end properties. Uh, I don't mail, I don't mail to those. And then my, uh, the person that was doing this would look through there and she would just real quick flip through there. And if she saw one that was next to uh, a railroad track or, you know, one that had some, what we call a fatal flaw, like they're sandwiched in between two factories, then she would take that out. But she got really good at that. And so that from that um, list, and this was every month, you could count on about the same number of people. So I would come away with 60 to 80 leads per month. So of the ones that I thought were potential um, leads. Now, the next question people always ask me is what about the equity? You can't worry about that. You just have to have to mail them. And I would say, try to figure out a way if you're a wholesaler, maybe it won't be a wholesale deal. Maybe you can partner with a realtor and they can list it. Maybe there are, there are different opportunities there to partner with people. Um, depending on what your investing strategy is. Maybe you're a wholesaler, but you also do lease options. So if you found one that wouldn't work any other way, maybe you just want to, well, lease option was a bad example because they have to sell the house, but there are different creative things that you can do with, mm -hmm. uh, with probates. Yeah. And you know, as I'm thinking back, as we're talking, I'm thinking back to all the people who have reached out, like just family friends or people mm -hmm. that I flew with in the past that have reached out to me knowing I'm a real estate guy recently, it's been the fact that they've inherited a house and had a problem and asked me what they should do with it. Mm -hmm. And exactly. they're in a place where these are people who have means, they, mm -hmm. but they just, they're busy. They don't want to deal with this. They just want to figure, and it's a, it's a hassle and a big burden for them. And part mm -hmm. of kind of closing the book and the chapter on all this stuff. So mm -hmm. I can see how this can be an area of um, where you could really target. So 60 to 80 people, and just keep in mind, if you're listening, you got 60 per month and it starts mm -hmm. stacking on itself, right? Mm -hmm. So what Sharon's list is doing is it's growing by 60 every month. And mm -hmm. some people might be coming off where they sold the house or something happened mm -hmm. to it, but primarily you're kind of growing that list and then it's stabilizing at some point where mm -hmm. every month you've got a certain amount of, mm -hmm. of mail that goes out with a budget. So you've got somebody passes away, you've got the house, you've got the list. Now you've determined whether, whether or not you're going to jump in there and really filter mm -hmm. it or not. It sounds like you filter it pretty good if you're pulling out like one by the railroad tracks and things like that, but you have somebody who has gotten smart about this. You've built a system around it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't do it to that level in the beginning, but uh, I had the advantage of having my daughter was working with me at the time. So she would, she would just go, yep, yep. She was wicked fast too. And she'd go, oh, heck no. <laughs> so, but you can, you, you really, you just pull out what I call the war zones in the areas you don't work in. I don't want to overcomplicate this and then pull out houses that you know are definite retail sales, you know, for I've gotten some good deals that would retail for two fifty, three hundred thousand. Much over that, 
it's not going, if they're 350, 450, 500, they're not going to be, um, they're going to list those houses on the MLS. Yep. And so for us, obviously, we try to stay in that first and second time home buyer world, yes. uh, typically. Mm-hmm. And the, when I've gotten in trouble, you guys have heard if you came to Flippacking Live, you heard I lost $70,000 on a house that was by a railroad track. And it was really expensive in an area <laughs> that doesn't just have a lot of buyers there. So mm-hmm. um, you can have a house on HGTV and still lose a lot of money like I did. So you, you can. And I think for people, as long as you you just nailed the the magic the magic piece here is stay where people are buying, stay in the first time, second time. And because that's also where wholesalers are buying. That's where real rehabbers are buying. Hmm. There aren't a lot of rehabbers buying upper end houses to rehab. So that's where you generally get in trouble. Yeah. My whole methodology and mindset behind all of this is it's supply and demand. It, that's, mm-hmm. that's simple. It really is. So our supply is where are we going to go to? So this is another means to drive your mm-hmm. supply. So it comes from at the different marketing channels, but you've got to look for areas. And normally I have to look in a very distressed area. Right now, what we're talking about is the distressed person. Mm-hmm. It might not be a distressed house that you're talking about. Exactly. It's a distressed person. So there's two different areas that supply. Mm-hmm. And when you're a wholesaler, you've got to, and even a flipper, you just kind of look at it a little bit differently, but the wholesaler is looking at supply being distressed home or distressed person. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at there. And it then- is. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and you you touched on another point too that um, a lot of times they're they're not bad houses. They're not horribly distressed. You've got, you have a person that just simply you they need to move on. Maybe there's been a long illness, or for any number of reasons, they just can't face the hassle of listing that house. So you can get some really good deals from probates. We made $40,000 on a house that was three years old. It was almost wow. new construction. The, the lady cleaned it like crazy. And we just had to, car- we did the carpet cleaning. That was it, listed it. And we made, we yeah, somewhere 30, 40 grand. And then she also bought a house with my realtor <laughs> on the back end. So, and they just, they didn't like the apartment complex that was being built behind the house, they mm-hmm. said. And then when they moved out, what we found out was there was a huge feud bet- between them and the next door neighbors. Mm-hmm. The second we put the sign in the yard, the next door neighbor called the sign and started yelling at us. <laughs> and it was just, they, they were complaining about a fence, being on their property, all of this stuff. It was mm-hmm. obviously, it was just a family feud, like this feud between the neighbors. And it's just interesting. You never know what you're going to get. And believe me, look, this, we don't get those on a regular basis. This is not something that happens monthly. It's, but you never know what you're going to get in this world. And then, so we got that supply side and then the demand being what you talked about. It's if you're a wholesaler, you're looking, where is the demand for this property? It's mm-hmm. your, cause your end buyer is a, is a, a landlord. It's or a flipper. Hand. It's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's that it's not a retail buyer. So you're yeah. looking for your demand areas. And if you're a rehabber, your demand is that end buyer. So first time, mm-hmm. second time home buyer, it might be that you do luxury houses and that's what mm-hmm. you do. And you're really good at it. But that's kind of the supply and demand cycle. So I think it's interesting that you guys dig in that much because it makes sense. If you're going to put somebody on your list and for most people, what my recommendation is always is how much is it going to cost you to make that change, to go in there and spend, if you're going to spend a week dealing with all that stuff and you're a $500 an hour person, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you can find somebody for 10, 12 bucks, maybe even six bucks, like a VA or something that gets really good at it that you train, then it makes sense to pull them off because what you want to look at is the kind of the life cycle of your, of that lead. How much is it going to cost mm-hmm. you over that six, six months or a year? And I'm, we haven't gotten to the kind of the price of your mailers and stuff like that, but um, it, 
if you're spending your time, which should be $500 an hour time or $1,000 an hour time or $200 an hour time for a day cleaning that up, and it's only going to cost you 50 bucks to mail that person each month, then mm -hmm. my recommendation is always to mail them. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I look back to the way we all learned how to do it and then you, then you can outsource it. But today there are so many resources. Somebody was complaining the other day, we were talking about a particular uh, investor that's coming on your show to talk about direct mail that has a direct mail company. And my comparison was that 20 years ago, it was a buck 50 to mail a white computer generated letter. And today it's a dollar including postage. And that's when postage was what, 30 cents or something. So by the time you take your time, your toner, your paper, your everything and the stamp, you cannot generate a letter for that extra 50 cents. You really can't. Now, when it comes, one of the biggest hurdles for investors is scrubbing their lists. So like you said, I would get 60 to 80 a month and I had a real hard time topping out at past 800 something a year. It was just the, the limitation of the population of where I live. But in many areas, you can get 1,000 or 1,200, but then you've got, like you said, some coming on every month, some going off, maybe some have been sold retail. So you have this problem of list scrubbing. Now, ideally, you should would scrub your list every three or four months, and that's where now there are great VAs that did, we didn't have those back even when I started out. I mean, not the VAs because they just weren't that sophisticated, but now you can get a VA on Upwork for that real estate VA for four or $5 an hour that can scrub your list. Uh, one piece of advice I have for people is don't trust them to go into your tax assessor site and try to figure out if the house has actually been sold because sometimes attorneys put the house in the executor's name. Sometimes they are, they can't look at it and say, Hey, an investor bought this, um, Bill Allen investments. They can't figure that out. So I would say to them, go in and tell me if the home has changed ownership from the name that's on this list. And then they would give me back a, a list of 20 or 30 names instead of 800. So I always kept uh, my list group by month. And then that way you could, if you give a, a list of 800 people to a VA, they're going to jump off of a tall building. But if you give them January of 2020 and then later February and give it to them in chunks so that they can do a good job. It's really a pretty simple process for them to do this for you. Yeah. I, the, it's just about all of these things, even the smallest system. It, for me, it's always about how much time do I need to spend? Mm -hmm. Can I, can I delegate this or do yes. I need to do it? And then it's just about build a quick video, building something around mm -hmm. that, letting them go. And then my, my biggest recommendation to folks is just I've had so many VAs approach me on buying buyers lists and buying lists and things mm -hmm. like that. It's really just try to get a referral if you can from somebody who you trust, mm -hmm. who's using a VA or, or really check on, on these folks kind of backgrounds and things like that. Mm -hmm. Because with, when you start trusting them with a big list of yours, your entire buyers list, if they're doing dispositions for you, or some of the things that you worked really hard to build up over time, mm -hmm. um, I'm always a little bit careful at what I give some yeah. folks access to. Um, but so we've got this list, we've got it built out and now it's time to kind of send something to them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you said that you mail to, um, I think you said you mailed to the personal representative and somebody else. No, just the executor, just the personal representative. Okay. okay. I don't personally mail to all the heirs. I, it's, it's redundant and it can cost you four or five, six times as much money to do a mailing like that. 
Okay. So sending something to the personal representative. And so mm-hmm. now the next step is kind of, so there might be somebody who says, okay, I can get all this information. Now, what do I do with it? So is it just a letter? Is it a postcard? What is kind of your recommendation in, in that? Well, I always tell people, keep one thing in mind when you're dealing with probate, somebody's mom has died. So you, everything you do, you, I'm very particular about how I teach my people to do it because I'm very mindful that while this is an opportunity for investors, it is an absolute horrible time for these people. So I, I don't like uh, yellow letters and I w- would not send a postcard to these people. I send white computer generated mail merge letters that say, you know, dear and whoever the executor is. And I'm, co- I'm contacting you about the property of. So you want them to know they're obviously probably figured out you're doing a mass mailing, but you want your mail piece to be directed to one person so that, and I always come at it from um, an attitude of you may not be ready now, but I'm ready when you're ready. So I do a very soft nurture series of letters, um, all basically, basically the same, but a little bit different. It might say, you know, your initial letter, we have two and it depends on uh, my student's, we call them condolences and no condolences. So letter one is whatever you're comfortable with. At some point, you're going to have to address how you got their information. So for some people, they just want to say straight up, you know, I know that you're the executor. Other people want to sidestep it. And there's no really right way to do it. But um, so you would then just take them down a path of maybe next month, the letter says, hey, I just wanted to check in and see if the, you know, you're getting closer to settling the estate. That's actually a letter further down, but you, you get the gist of it. So again, uh, you, you just acknowledge that it might not be the right time, but you wanted them to know that you're there to help. And uh, one of the biggest hangups with probates is cleaning out the house. So in the letter somewhere, you know, it says also, if you need help with, uh, with that part of it, we can also do that for you. So in every offer that I ever make on a probate, and if there's stuff in the house, I figure cleaning out the house for the person who's ultimately going to buy the house. Uh, I, I kind of look around and go, one dumpster, two dumpsters, or whatever it is, and then the man hour. So I just put that right in my repair estimates, because that is the number one biggest stumbling block for probates. People go in the house, they take, their loved one has passed away, and they go in there and they have to they have to look at it. I went through this with my mom. You know, it was her stuff, her prized stuff. But did her sofa have any monetary value? Her sofa that I knew she dearly loved? No, she, it did not. But everybody goes through this. They go in, they, they look for uh, valuables, jewelry, cash. They, they look for important papers. And then they might take some pictures and they'll say, I'll come back next week. Well, maybe they do and maybe they don't. And before you know, months, maybe even six months to a year have gone by and the house is still sitting there. And then somebody calls them and says, hey, you know, you've got to, you have to sell this house. You have to close this estate. And then they become extremely motivated, but they've still got the problem of all the stuff in the house. So if you can let them know right up front that when they're ready, you can help them with that. That is a big, uh, that's a big stumbling block out of the way as far as buying their property. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's 
it's the same thing as any other mailing we do. It's find out what their motivation could be, some of the right. issues that could come up and try to address them and, and use that as almost like a, mm-hmm. a little push towards you. So you, you said something about condolences versus no condolences. Mm-hmm. I think this is the number one thing that comes up. Do you acknowledge the fact that somebody had passed away in the first letter or do you wait? And it sounds like you uh, maybe. I, towards I, the- I do. I do. Yeah. And um, I've only really had an angry person one time. Um, I mean, they said something like ambulance chaser and some other things, but I was able to diffuse that situation with what I said before, you know, I want you to understand what we do. We did not here to upset you, but genuinely people are happy to have a resource because as you know, it's, it's about a situation. They just, they just want to be done. So the, the investors have a problem with it. They think it's creepy or they think they can't talk about death, but that's one of the things that, that I'm big on teaching people to do is developing that connection, which you probably know how to do that. I think for newer investors, they don't always know how to do it, but I'll walk in the house. If I know, for instance, someone's dad has passed away, I'll look for visual clues in the house. So for you, I might see something that would be airplane related. Maybe I'll walk in a house and there's golf clubs in the corner. So I'll just say, was your dad, first I have to say, tell me about the house. And then the next thing I would say would be, was your dad the golfer? Once you get in your mind how to communicate with these people, they're just people. They have a problem. They have a house. Um, But I do think adjusting your mindset as an investor is the biggest hurdle that you've got to overcome. So how fast do you send out this letter after a lot of these, they, is there a timeline that before they get posted? So this has happened, it's been a week or a month since the, they passed away. And then how fast do you start hitting them? With when they, when they open the probate, that's a sign that they're ready to move forward. It could have been last week. I had a case one time like that. Um, the man was barely buried and him and his son were not close, but generally speaking, it'll be a period of months. Uh, you know, sometimes it's longer than that. But when they finally open the estate, uh, they're saying, I'm ready to move forward. So you don't have to go back and look up when the person passed away. You don't have to do any of that because that's your clue that they're ready to sell the property. Okay. So when the probate gets triggered, they're, they're doing that process. They're ready mm-hmm. to actually start they're dealing ready. with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're, you're getting that information and then sending that out right away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the, the next question that kind of came up in my mind was, do you have to be an expert on the probate process? So I know some of these times it, it can take a while to get this mm-hmm. to closing, or do you need to know all of this stuff? Or is it just about doing what you do with the house? Well, in most areas, the the transaction will be like any other deal. But yes, you do need to know how the process works. And it's in most places, it's as simple as what I told you. There, There's a process. And, and for anybody listening, they can Google probate process plus their state. And in most cases, they'll find that it's very straightforward. Now, there are a couple of states, California being one of them, that has made it much harder to um, invest in probates. I'm not really sure why they do that, but in most cases, certainly in Tennessee and Kentucky, most of the states, it's a very straightforward process. But yes, you do need to know 
you need to understand how the process works and you need to understand some basic terminology. And I've done a lot of blog posts and there's a freebie on my site, which people can get. It's called a probate investing starter kit. Um, and in there, it's kind of a crash course on the top dozen or so terms that they really need to get clear on to have an intelligent conversation with these people. I have a graphic that shows them the probate process. Um, and so, and I have a sample probate letter in there. So it's kind of, a, if you want a quick start to um, here are the things you need to know, because the thing you need to remember is they're confused about the process. Like you said, mm -hmm. they've got this dumped in their lap. So if you can go in as a trusted resource and you, you know the language, then they'll say, well, I don't understand what this means. If you know that term, then you've immediately just raised your credibility by 200%. Yeah. Uh, what I found is the more resources that we can provide to them, mm -hmm. uh, I don't always have to know ex exactly what I'm doing, but know mm -hmm. where I can send them a lot of times. So whether it's a, if they need some help hauling out the junk, like you talked mm -hmm. about, or if they need um, a relocation for somebody or to move things mm -hmm. somewhere or uh, a good attorney to deal with all the other stuff that they're going through. Mm -hmm. that, and that kind of, so I'm, I'm looking at your, um, your probate investing simplified document that you talked mm -hmm. about, the kit, the starter mm -hmm. kit. I think mm -hmm. it's amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. I was looking at it before our call and it does, it has a, you know, a sample letter in here. It's got the, the process exactly mm -hmm. how you la laid it out for us mm -hmm. in the beginning. So it definitely is something that, that I would want to have if I was getting going in that. And we'll, we'll share at the end how people mm -hmm. can get that if okay. they want. So I, what about attorneys? I know in Florida, so we've, we've done some of this in Florida. We've done some probates in Florida, or a lot of times what happens with us is it's almost like a, the op the reverse of what you're talking about. We'll get a house under contract and then we'll send it to title and we'll find out it needs to go through probate. So mm -hmm. a lot of our, our learning points have been navigating through that process to understand how long it takes, what needs to happen, who all needs to be involved, all of these things. And then how much is it going to cost that mm -hmm. family or that seller to have it go through probate. So that's a lot of what we've seen And mm -hmm. me. I had to learn how to become understand probate in Florida as we were getting going over these past few years. So is it an issue when they're, so they're working with a probate attorney typically I would suspect, mm -hmm. or they've opened it on their own. Mm -hmm. And so is it hard to deal with those attorneys and things like that once the process is going sometimes? Well, I love my, my attorney. He's my real estate attorney and he figures all this probate stuff out for me. But I have to tell you in general, probate attorneys smoke up the process. So if you can deal directly with the executor, even um, send your mailing to them, they will likely have an attorney. Uh, if you can keep from getting that attorney involved, it's always, it's always better. But I adjusted my process a little bit. So since I'm a wholesaler and I typically have always double closed, I like things clean and nice and neat. So if I were doing a regular deal, I would probably just I'd buy the house and then uh, call one of my buyers and sell it and all in the same scope of a few days. And then I would send both contracts over to my attorney and say, this is the A to B and this is the B to C. Well, the, one of the very first probates that I did, I did that. And then I found out from my attorney who, when he ran the title, found out that the the probate was done incorrectly by the family. And that's where you're generally going mm -hmm. to have problems. So at that time, I learned my new process going forward would be when I bought the house and had that A to B contract, I immediately sent that one over to my attorney so that I would know before I sold it 
if there was any issue. Now, when you're dealing with a rehabber or, you know, a a landlord, if they're going to get a great deal and they know they have to wait four to six months, they're okay with that. But as long as they know, not so much if you were dealing with a retail buyer. So that's one change I made was I immediately sent that first contract over so that I would know if I had was going to have a problem. Now, with that same deal, you know how you put in closing will be within, what, seven days, 30 days, whatever you put in there. I had that in my contract, and then I had to keep going back to that seller and hoping another investor hadn't gotten in there and to say, I'll pay you $500 more. Just forget that contract with her when it comes up. So now, um, on the advice of my attorney, I put a clause in there for probates that I don't put in for anything else. So when I put that, I generally try to get a little bit of extra time on there. I'll put, I'll talk to the seller and say, look, this could take a little bit longer. So are you okay with like 14 to 45 days? And they'll say yes. And then I'll put a clause in there and I, and I tell them, this is to protect us so that we don't, you know, have uh, contractual issues. Um, I'll say closing will be 15 to 45 days upon court slash attorney approval to close. And mm-hmm. I do that for probates. Then you never are out of your contract and you never have to run the risk of going back and having another investor come behind you and get the deal when your contract expires. So that's in every one of my probate contracts when I buy. Yeah. I hope you guys wrote that down. That's an incredible tip right and, there. Because- and that's, that language is in, in the probate letter. Now you want to obviously take that out when it's not a probate, but my probate attorney, that's the very, my attorney, that's the very contract. He's also an investor. It's the very contract he uses right here in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's the one that told me that. So it has saved me so many times. Uh, you know, usually the probate process is not a hang up because they sell the house and then they put the money in the escrow account and wait to settle the estate. But every now and then you get one where the family does things wrong or they do it in the wrong order and then you have to start over and that will protect you from losing that deal, that one statement. Yeah, I think the word track that if I was talking to that seller, my my conversation would be something like, um, instead of talking about the contractual issues, just say, I don't want to have to come here. You know, I don't want to bother you every two weeks or every month mm-hmm. just to re-sign another extension. Mm-hmm. So we put this in there to help you yeah. make sure that we're not having to constantly have you, you know, you don't want to deal with any more paperwork than you're right. And that's, that's, that's more along the lines of what I say to them. It's, um, yeah. but it's, it is, it has been a lifesaver more times than I can count. Oh, if you're not writing that down and that goes for a lot of things. We, there's a lot of times where we're not sure of exactly maybe we need a couple other people to sign or we need some documents mm-hmm. or you have uh, so all of ours are based on clear title like we have mm-hmm. automatic extensions if you have your title wrapped up mm-hmm. or you can't clear it for right. us so you've got some liens or judgments or things like that mm-hmm. that come back then we don't have to go sign another extension all the time so making sure that that stuff is in the contract this is kind of like varsity level type stuff right but, yes. but you go through these problems so mm-hmm. often that you can you can clean up your contract, make changes. Mm-hmm. Ours is a living and breathing document. We, I learn something every time I'm either doing a podcast or meeting with somebody. Mm-hmm. These couple little tricks will, could, I mean, could save you a $30,000 deal. It's a huge yeah. tip. So absolutely. I hope you guys wrote that down. That was good. So, okay. So we've got this, we've got the probate. We've got, mm-hmm. we understand sending the letters. Is it a cycle that you go on six times, eight times, or you just keep hitting them with new letters every I have a cycle of, I have a group of six. So what I do is then I start over minus 
the condolences letter. So um, it's been my experience that most probates will be, they kind of are done at 12, 15 months, the vast majority of them. Some every now and then one will go longer. But what I do is I just uh, do the letters and that's a, if you have not scrubbed your list by that time, you need to stop and scrub your list for, for so and get rid of the solds because your list is just going to get gigantic. But uh, then you just start over with the same letters. But I mail till I buy the house, they, someone else buys the house or they come off my list for some reason. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds, listening to all this, I'm just kind of writing down all of my notes because these are all things that we need to be doing. We should be doing this in every one of our markets. Mm -hmm. One question I have about us doing it. So we try to scale and do things that isn't a lot of manual labor. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend using a third-party service to get these leads or do you recommend going out and finding someone, hiring them and doing them yourself? I recommend that if you can get them online in, in the areas that get them yourself because I've never found the third-party services to be particularly reliable. They're very expensive, first of all, very mm -hmm. expensive. So if you can get a free list, why would, why would you do that? Or I have a friend who's um, an investor in Fort Lauderdale, and he found out, so they have, he just couldn't get a list, but he found out that he could uh, get a list daily for two bucks. And he was seriously considering going down to the courthouse. And I said, I had that same conversation with him. No, you're not doing that. That's 60 bucks a month and you can get it sent to you. Yes, it costs money, but you can need to concentrate on getting deals. So I'm not a fan of the services. And I had a very um, frank discussion with one of them. They were sending me, wanted to sell me leads that only had the, the name of the deceased and the property address. And they said, these leads are so fresh. That's why there's no executor information. I said, no, these leads are so fresh because you're working obituaries and mm -hmm. I don't do that. Yeah. It's, and I tell people, don't do that. Um, if you find a, I mean, I know one uh, lead source that is selling 50 leads for like $500. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I'm, we, we have used some of these different sources. I'm not going to throw a lot of people under the bus here mm -hmm. on the podcast, but it, we've, that, this has some, been some of our struggle is mm -hmm. it's really, it, it becomes very expensive. So what we're talking about here, if you have a list that isn't, can't usually get over 800 and I'm guessing you're spending somewhere around a dollar, maybe a little bit more per letter. So mm -hmm. even at, even just at a dollar 50, you're at what? $1,200 a month or you can yeah. get them for about a dollar. Yeah. About a dollar. So now you're at 800 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I spend, and I'm going to probably make you uh, cringe a little bit. I spend all, we spend about $40,000 a month in my company on marketing per oh month. My 40, gosh, yeah. So if I could spend 800 bucks a month on a service that provides a couple deals a month, a deal, two deals, three deals. I don't know. Uh, and maybe mm -hmm. I'll ask in a second, but that is a, that's a no brainer. I don't right. know why. So my biggest question to you is, is there any investor that does what I do or what anybody listening wholesalers or flippers that shouldn't be doing this? Spending $40,000. No, 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 no. That, should, that shouldn't be doing probates. I mean, Oh no, absolutely not. It should be one of, one of the, the groups of people you mail to, you know, I always mailed to out of state absentee owners too. And people would go, Oh, you can't get rich on those. And I'd say, you're absolutely right. But I, I got a deal one time after three years and then I use postcards for everything but probates. So they said, you mailed to somebody for three years? And I said, yes, let's do the math here. 
44 cents a postcard, so we'll call it 50. So $6 a year cost me $18 to make twelve dollars or $13,000. Was it worth it? Yes, because I didn't do anything. It just went out month after month after month. But I used to call it marketing money. If I made a, got a deal or two a year, it more than paid for all my marketing for, uh, for, for the whole year. Yep. For, for those, those strategies there. Exactly right. I mean, it's all about looking at the numbers, so the mm-hmm. key, key performance indicators. What are the, what's the cost per deal? What does it mm-hmm. look like? And for us, that's, that's it. We're constantly tweeting. In fact, we're, we've, we have dropped uh, our budget by 25%. We're still producing about the same results right now with my new marketing manager, which mm-hmm. is amazing. But we have, I mean, we do anywhere from 250 to 350,000 a month. So spending 40 grand is, uh, it's okay for me because we're, we're watching it. For every dollar we spend, how much comes in the back door? And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we care about. So for me, I started spending somewhere around $2,000 a month and mm-hmm. just organically grew that over yeah. time. And if anybody's listening to this, don't go out and spend $40,000 in your mm-hmm. first month in marketing. And don't say that Bill told me I need to spend $40,000 a month <laughs> to grow my business because I very slowly stepped up to that. Mm-hmm. And that's also over five cities now. We're in five different markets. We just added two more. So this is not in a vacuum in one city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what ifs and everything that go into that. And all we look at, I mean, we're just looking at the numbers. It's a machine that we tweak the dials mm-hmm. and that's what this is. It's really mm-hmm. amazing to see. I'm going to have to call my team right after this call and say, you guys got to get on this, this <laughs> because it's, it's just one of those, those things that you do. And like you said, put it on autopilot and, mm-hmm. and get it rolling. Once you can build the system around it and eventually move yourself out of it the, from you know, going down to the courthouse if you have to, mm-hmm. training somebody to do that and all that stuff. And then it becomes, okay, now I can go do something else. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely an area I think that someone just getting started, this could be what they are really, really good at. And that's kind of how you started. It sounds mm-hmm. like you built your company off of this. Yeah, I, that was always my number one lead source, but I, I wasn't, I, you've got a vision that is, I, I have trouble wrapping my brain around the number of deals you do. See, I was, I was always had a lesser vision with a little bit more, uh, uh, not, not that many deals, but you can take, you know, you talk about $2,000 and really and truly you to get to where you're doing uh, with return rates at 1%, maybe 2% in some areas. If you want to do a deal a month, you're going to have to think my, my first drop dead numbers got to be about 2000 mail pieces to do that. And now you may get some through your, uh, your website and other channels, but you, you can't mail out 500 mail pieces a month and think you can build a business, but you do need to scale up to it. And I tell people your first, your first benchmark, if you're brand new is probably a thousand pieces and then get that to 2000 reevaluate, do what Bill did say, where do I want to go and then scale up from there. But you, you shouldn't be a brand new investor and drop $10,000 on a mailing for three months and then quit, which is what people do. They, they go all in and, and they lose all their money. Yeah. And just to put it out there, we are going to do a direct mail piece. I'm going to do an episode about direct mail mm-hmm. shortly after this, but our response rate is not even close to that. 1%, mm-hmm. 2%. We're blended under, we're like three quarters of a percent right now. When I started four years ago uh, doing direct mail and starting mm-hmm. to scale that, it was, I would go into a new market. I remember going into Chattanooga and I was almost 3%, mm-hmm. just the first drop. And I went, whoa, whoa because yeah. Pensacola was like 2%. And mm-hmm. these are, these are broad equity mailers to absentee typically. Mm-hmm. So it's really, 
I think as you're newer, and if you are going to send a thousand mail pieces, your thousand mail pieces are going to sit right on top of my hundred thousand mail pieces that go out per month. And the other guy who's doing 80 and the other guy's doing 40,000 and the other guy's doing 20,000. And so what you've really got to do as you're ramping up and getting going is to find your niche and your strategy and really focus on that. Don't go too broad with five, six different Mm -hmm. things. Probate could be a very, very good option for you because I'll tell you, what I always tell the newer investors is, what are the big people doing? The bigger players mm-hmm. that have an unlimited budget? And maybe you should, you either have to do that much better. You have to be much better operationally, which they can be. They can, they can answer the phone, go on the appointment and do everything the same day. When my team answers the phone, sends the other person, gets it on the calendar, and then we mm-hmm. lose the deal. Or what you've got to do is you've got to be, um, you've got to do something that we're not doing. So if, if we're not doing probate, I just told you we're not in all of mm-hmm. our cities, then that's one. And some of the bigger players probably aren't doing it either because it's a little too tough or it's not as mm-hmm. scalable. You can't right. go real big with it. And so it's maybe not worth our time, we think. So now I'm starting to wonder, it sounds like it might be. So, um, yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> so all of the new people, this is a very, very good avenue uh, along with some of the niche stuff that is a little bit harder to get. The harder it is to get in your area too, the less likely that the bigger players are doing it. The more expensive that it is for a service to go get, if it's going to cost $10 a lead, like Sharon said, or more, mm-hmm. then it's likely that we're probably not doing it because we need to see a bigger return. And when we don't get it, we start getting upset and we cancel it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's been my experience. So as you're newer and getting going, I totally agree. A thousand pieces is like, you can't just, you, or you're knocking doors, you're doing, you're networking, you're, you're exhausting all of the free channels right. Right. before you're really ramping up the really expensive stuff. Right. I never tell somebody to go drop $30,000 on absentee list mm-hmm. to 50% and up equity. I mean, I didn't do that when I got started. Yeah. No, so. no, no one does. And you, I think uh, for new investors, and certainly I'm sure you do this, you should have three to five lead channels at all the, t- all the time. So direct mail would be one of them. Probates would be one group of people that you mail. But networking, in my uh, estimation, is one of the most underrated, yet one of the most valuable activities that you can do. And people think, well, I don't have time to go socialize, but that's not really what you're doing. It's, it's not so much about who you know in this business, but it's who knows you. Who, who knows you? You've got to put yourself out there. And um, if you're introverted, you probably would believe this, but I'm a fully recovered introvert after all these years. <laughs> I actually used to be very introverted. You just have to do it. You have to do the hard stuff. And that's, what, that's the line in the sand between successful and people that are not successful, I think, is they, they walk over, they walk through the fire and they feel the fear anyway, but they just keep on walking. I totally agree. And I, from another like semi introvert, people think that I, mm-hmm. my, if you're using the disc, my eye is way below. It's like 30 per <laughs> 30. And if you're using it, some of these other pro- personality profiles, I, I might look like an extrovert at the events and things like that, but it drains mm-hmm. my batteries real quick. At the end of the night, I'm just completely dead and I crash. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm, I, but I love talking about this. Like when we talk about real estate and we mm-hmm. talk about, so I can go to a party and talk all night about this. About real but estate. If people start talking about some other stuff, I'm usually the guy who's going to make sure that the chips are filled up and the dip is full <laughs> and yeah. doing the cooking and stuff like that. Uh, just 
that's kind mm -hmm. of more of the introverted side of me. So mm -hmm. I, I love the conversation with this because we also have people who are doing a lot of volume and a lot of business that listen to the podcast. So knowing that this could be another channel that they might need and listening to some of the other resources that are going to come on for this marketing side and that three to five channels, I totally agree. We have I started with direct mail and then I moved into pay-per-click. So I brought in mm -hmm. kind of the online advertising side. And then as I went from there, that's when I started to grow. But that the networking side is we, we've done a couple JV deals this year, probably to the tune of maybe a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars of income. And just kind of, I, I remember there was one of our mastermind members that came to an event and said, he's talking about his different channels and where he was making money. And I said, well, where were you? He said, I'm drying up a little bit on rehabs over here. I can't find too many anymore uh, from wholesalers. So I'm going to start doing my own marketing. I'm going to go spend a bunch of money, like another $20,000 a month. I said, well, where'd you make all your money last year? And he's like, well, I'll just go into RIAs and buying mm -hmm. wholesaler deals. And I said, well, like how many RIAs did you go to? He's like, I usually would go to like one a week or two a week. And I just mm -hmm. network and meet with people. I said, okay, well, when's the last time you went to one? He's like, uh, probably not in like six months. Mm -hmm. I said, there okay, so how much money did you make last year just on referrals? And mm -hmm. he said, probably like 250,000. I said, so you stopped going and you want to mm -hmm. spend 20 grand a month. You want to mm -hmm. go spend $240,000 over this next year to hopefully make 250,000 or more when you just got that for free. And all, all you have to do is spend an hour or two hours of your day. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Yeah. Go max that out go spend the time network. That was your top lead source. Mm -hmm. And people lose that when they come into a mastermind like ours and say, all these people are doing all this marketing. I got to do it. Yeah. So no, you don't, you want your business to look like what yours looks like. Don't come in and make it look like mine because mm -hmm. this might not be what you want and it might not be what you need. And mm -hmm. frankly, we could do a little bit better learning from you and go and get a lot more free, free, uh, free channels. Do more well, networking. networking is great. And the thing about networking is you may see the results five years from now you may meet somebody and it might take that long till they suddenly uncle Harry who had 10 rental properties died and you're the person they, that you're the constant person that they've networked with. And not only that you should, it's always good if you got, don't only go to real estate events, find one event that's not strictly real estate where people who you're not dealing with other real estate investors because their aunt Mary's got property and, you, you can't predict all the good things that will happen from networking. You just have to, you have to go do it and just trust the process. And um, it, it, it's really valuable in my book. Yeah. And I think if you're going somewhere, I love where this is going. If you're going somewhere outside of the real estate world, mm -hmm. you are the only person, you're the only mm -hmm. shark in that, in that pool. Yep. Right. And, yep. and have a little, have a little pitch about what you do. You know, mm -hmm. don't say I'm a house flipper. Mm -hmm. They, well, I help other people get out of difficult situations exactly. with their house or like exactly. really come up with your little elevator pitch. So mm -hmm. they say, Oh, you know, and Hey, if you ask for the referral, if you yeah, ever, that was now, the thing I used to not do. Yeah. Now that you know what I do, mm -hmm. if you ever come across somebody who mm -hmm. might be, who might need something like that, let me know, you know, and yeah. then immediately they'll say, Oh, actually I do know somebody like that. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. And everybody you come across, that's it. I mean, the referrals are a big push for us this mm -hmm. year because our mm -hmm. costs are going way up. Yeah. And so we're really pushing towards that. So, all right, Sharon, this has been awesome. I think that we, I think that we have convinced everybody who's not doing probates to do probate. So I hope, I, I'm sorry about that. I hope it's not all in your market, <laughs> all in my market, but um, I think that, 
I hopefully it opened people's eyes to it's not that difficult. It's not as much of a beast as people think it is. Mm-hmm. You can, you're not a ambulance chaser when you do it, mm-hmm. especially if it's said the right way. But I think there are some very specific ways to do it and ways mm-hmm. to make yourself stand out from the crowd that you are somebody basically bookmarking this, bookending this from the beginning saying, we want to do this with integrity and we want to do it the right way and be the people that other people can emulate and be proud of what we do. So, and I think, I think we shared all of that stuff with them. I, there's probably a lot of people who are excited or already like going to make phone calls about how to do it. So what can, how can they get in touch with you if they want some help? Because you talked about your students and things like that. Mm-hmm. You talked to, obviously you're the best at this. You are the person who I would direct anybody to if they wanted to learn probates or do probate. So, and I think you're spending a lot of time doing this now with mm-hmm. uh, other people. Well, I have a ton of resources on my blog and my podcast links directly off of there. So that's uh, obviously we 10, uh, all those years ago, we knew nothing about naming things. So it's Louisville gals, real estate blog. Uh, there's a link to the podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing, off of there. And um, I have a course called Probate Investing Simplified, which uh, you can check out, probateinvestingsimplified.com. And um, Bill and I talked about this last week, and uh, uh, he's very generously um, made it possible for you all to get a big discount on my course. So I'm going to give a link to give Bill a special link for you. It'll be good for uh, about a week after this podcast. We'll keep it up that long whenever the podcast goes live. But uh, you can thank him for your uh, big juicy discount that you get. He, he's been very generous to all of his people. Awesome. Well, I think I might be buying one of those right now and sending my team in. So, because uh, like this is something we just got to figure out. So, um, I love it. I will, we'll put all of those links in the show notes. Um, and then, yeah, guys, if this is something that you want to do, uh, again, I, my biggest thing, and I, maybe one day the company will need to take kind of affiliates or costs or things like that. It's just for me, I want to make sure that our listeners, our people, our mastermind members, just, we pass on all the savings to you guys. It's not something that, um, that we've like partnered up on for, for me to make money or seven figure flipping to make money. It's, I want to make sure that you guys are, um, reaping all the benefits Mm -hmm. of the discount. So this isn't, um, something that I, 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 obviously you heard in the beginning, Sharon has been a huge influence on me without even knowing it from afar. So I love the fact that she can give back Mm -hmm. to our community now as me being the owner and everything like that, that's happened recently that I can bring her on and hopefully open that opportunity for you guys Mm -hmm. to work with her too, because she's somebody that I, that I know, like, and trust, and I'd like to get her to know her more uh, as we get going in this business. So, um, thank you, Sharon, for spending some time with us. I really appreciate, uh, all of the insights. I mean, when we share everything that we're doing, we mm-hmm. open up the door to competition, to other people, to reducing our business size mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, I know how, how incredible it is to, to your willingness to share and openness to share and you know, give away, obviously, one of your sample letters and all of these things for them. It's really cool to see that when I, I just feel like the more that we give, the more that we get. And you probably see the same thing. That's for sure. And um, folks, I want you to know that Really and truly, Bill Bill doesn't is not benefiting from anything from uh, letting me tell you about my course on here. He did generously um, offer up, make it possible for you all to get a big discount on my course. So, and thank you, Bill, for having me on. It's been great fun. 
Yeah, it's been fun. And I look forward to meeting you in person soon. One day, I, I hope we'll make that happen. Now that you it. said that your your parents were pilots and stuff, I've got my little airplane. So I'm ready to uh, fly up to Louisville. I've got a cu- I'm actually a partner in a couple of um, a multifamily uh, apartment buildings in Louisville. So oh, cool. Expense and everything. So I can be up there pretty quick in the airplane now. So, um, all right, Sharon, thank you so much for sharing this with us and we'll put all those links in the show notes once we get the discount link and everything. And I'll just be back from the cruise at when we uh, launch this. So I'm really looking forward to that. I can't totally wait. jealous. Yeah. We'll send you some pictures. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.